we're back to Colossians. We had a couple weeks off. Again, appreciate Tom and Sal and the messages they brought. Let's outline of Colossians. It's a three-part outline. Roughly, we take chapters one, two, and then three and four. Chapter one was chapter one was doctrine. Chapter two was danger. And then chapters, basically chapters three and four are duty. Our duty. Now, when I say duty, I don't mean that stuff that we have to do, but, but really what we're talking about is, is what are the practical outworkings of, verse, of, of chapters one through, uh, one through, well, two, basically. Okay? So, uh, with that, we come to Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Okay, Megan, now put it up there. Now I want you to look up here. Now you can look at the screen. Okay. Look at this, and I, I want you to tell me what you see. What do you see? Okay, you see two. Okay. Two. How many of you see a young woman? How many of you see an old woman? Okay, most of you probably have seen this already, right? How many of you have seen this before? Okay, well. This is one of those things where... Uh, depending upon what you focus on, it depends on what you see. Um, some see a young woman whose head is turning away. You see this? This is her nose. Here's her eyelash. This is a, a hair. Uh, I guess she's wearing something on her head. I'm not quite sure what she has going on there. Uh, but she's, tur- she's turning and looking that way. Does everybody see that? Now, the old woman in this picture is, here's her big nose. I shouldn't make fun of her nose, I guess. Here's her, here's her nose. She's looking this way. Here's her eye. Here's her mouth and her chin. You see it? And then this is what she has on her... No? Neil? Did you see the young woman? Okay. Here's the old woman. you got to kind of focus. She, the, the young woman's looking that way. The older woman's looking this way. Her head's kind of down. This is her chin. Here's her mouth, her eye, her nose. This is her hair. Okay, leave that up there for Neil. And we'll just go on. You're not the only one, Neil. You're the only one that's willing to admit it. This is one of those things. Okay, you can take it down now or it'll really be a distraction. This one of those things is it, what you see is, depends on what you focus on. And that's really what our text is, is talking about in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, is this issue of focus. Now, what do we mean by focus? What does it mean when we say we focus? We concentrate. Do we just concentrate? Because that's true. That's one aspect of focus. But we, we don't just concentrate. We do what? We concentrate on, on one thing in particular. When we looked at that picture, you, you had to focus, really focus on one thing in particular. So focus has this notion of, of intense concentration, but not just intense concentration, but intense concentration on one thing or one primary thing. Why is focus important? Well, really two reasons. Maybe there's more. One reason why focus is important is protection. Uh, when you get in your car and you drive, if you're not focused, what might happen? Crash, accident, run off the road. So it, focus protects us. What about when we're cutting with a knife? If we're not focused on that knife, we're in the danger of cutting ourselves. Um, baking. 
because we just came out the the Thanksgiving season, if you're not focused with baking, what might happen? Burn the cookies, put the wrong ingredients in, and putting instead of putting baking soda, you put baking powder, or or the, would it be the obvious op, opposite? You, you got to focus. Uh, so one of the reasons why focus is important is because of protection. Number one is production. If we're not focused, we typically don't accomplish or complete anything. What about homework? Let's see, where's Megan and Jenna? If you, Jackson, he's now at college. What happens? What what happens when you don't focus on studies? Your studies. Your your studies. Yeah, don't get it done. So focus is important. We 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 focus all the time. Some people go through life though they they can't focus on anything. And and when you can't focus on anything, then then you you leave yourself open. You you're not protected and obviously don't produce much. But our text this morning is going to talk to us about how, how do we have a right focus or a proper focus in our Christian life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. It's all about focus. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So he talks about, in verses 1 through 2, the object of our focus. And there are two options there are two, in Paul, according to Paul, two and only two options that we have that we will focus on. The first one is in verse 1. Look again at verse 1. He says, Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. So that's the first option that we have. We can focus on things that are above. And what's the second option? Verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not, the thing, not on the things that are on the earth. So the two options are things that are above. Number two is things that are on the earth. So, what about things that are above? Option one, things that are above. How does he describe things that are above? He says this is where Christ is. Where he is seated at the right hand of God. So what is what are things above? It's not just, obviously, things that are high, that are up on a house or a building. But when, we, when, when he says things that are above, he qualifies that. And what are things that are above? These are heavenly things. These are spiritual things. These are things where Christ is central. So these are heavenly realities. In fact, he says, this is where you are. Verse 1, therefore, you, if you have been raised with Christ. Now, the if there, we've talked about this before. This if is not, uh, does not designate uncertainty. This, this if is what we call a first-class condition, which means it is concessive. You could, you could say since. Since you've been raised with Christ. And we remember chapter 2, it's been a while, chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about the fact that we have been raised with Christ. And we, if you remember back, we talked about that. Obviously, we are not literally and physically raised with Christ because we're all here this morning. So this is a positional truth. This is, a, this is a legal truth, a legal transaction, that when Christ rose from the dead, we rose with him. It, it, we have a legal right to, resur- to resurrection. Positionally, 
it is so certain that we it is as if we have already been raised with him. So he says, think about things that are above, spiritually things, heavenly things, because this is your positional reality. You have been raised with Christ. That is option number one. Heavenly things, spiritual things. But the second option is in verse two, things that are on earth. Now what would that what could that mean if if in fact things that are above are heavenly spiritual things, what might things that are earthly on the earth be? Yes, things of this life. It's the it's the tangible stuff. Uh, but not just the tangible stuff, but all the things of this earthly life, our values, our beliefs, our priorities, our concerns, our activities, our needs. These are all part of things here. Let me give you maybe some some additional uh, contrast to, to highlight this. It is spiritual versus carnal. Heavenly things and earthly things would be spiritual things versus carnal things. And when I when I say carnal, I don't necessarily mean sinful. I mean fleshly. I mean things that are of this life. Keep your marker here and turn to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8. Although in this context, it is certainly an aspect of sinfulness. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, to the sinful nature, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So we could say part of the things that are above are the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to God, not, not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, spiritual, things of the spirit versus things of the flesh. Things that are above, things that are on the earth. So, spiritual versus fleshly or Spiritual versus carnal. The second would be eternal versus temporal. Eternal versus temporal. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as, the, just as from the Lord and the Spirit. Um, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at, at the things which are not seen. So what's the contrast? Things that are not seen, which would be what? Heavenly things. Things that are seen would be earthly things. For the things which are seen are... This is what Kelsey is saying. Things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So temporal versus eternal. Or eternal versus temporary. All of this stuff is temporary. The things above are eternal. The third one is noble things versus base things. What are base things? Low, not really worthy of our contemplation. So noble versus base. Turn to Philippians. Keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We're working our way back to Colossians. Philippians, 
chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. In other words, those things that are above are those things that are, that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, of good repute, of excellence. He says, think on these things. These are the things that we need to contemplate, not earthly things. So the object of our focus are things above. Spiritual things, not carnal things. Eternal things, not temporary things. Noble things, not base things. Well, the question is, how do we do this? And he fortunately gives us the disciplines for our focus. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. The disciplines of our focus. He says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, this is your positional reality. You have been raised with Christ. He says, keep seeking the things above. So the first motivation or the first discipline of our focus is to seek. Now, when you think of seek, what do you think of? Yeah, well, how many of you used to play hide and go seek? So seek can and does oftentimes have that connotation, right, where it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. You're trying to find something. And that's what it may appear to be here is it may, in fact, that's the, the word literally is the, the notion of seeking. But the connotation of this word is not, not like a scavenger hunt. It's not like you're trying to find something that's lost. Or you're trying to find something that, that you can't see. That, that's not the, the notion of this word, the connotation of this word. The connotation of this word deals with heart issues, heart desires. In fact, the NIV translates it that way. Tom, read the NIV, would you? Uh, verse 1. Stop right there. Thank you. Set your hearts on things above. Well, the NIV doesn't say seek. Well, because seek has this connotation of, of, a, of heart issues, of desires, of heart issues. So seek is not, I can't find it. Where's, heaven, where's the heavenly things? Where are the heavenly things? No, th- this has a notion of desires. It means that we are to orient our lives and our emotions and our affections on things above. And this is something I think that maybe we're lacking much in the church today, and that is the effective aspect of our faith. Not effective, affective. Our heart issues, our desires, our heart desires, our treasures. It it, it is because it seems like everything else we do is safe. We can sing a song, we can listen to a sermon, we can read our Bibles, but there's an element of our Christian life that is meant to be effective. That, that, that touches our emotions, that, that inflames our hearts, and not just in, in, informs our mind. And we're going to look at that in a minute. So often Christians live their lives just informing their minds, and they never let the Spirit of God inflame their hearts. It, it, this could be maybe uh, to look beyond the, the messiness and the complications of life and and find true meaning and direction, and find your heart's treasures in things somewhere other than here. Um, Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. Most of us are familiar with these verses. Think of this seeking things above as an issue of treasures. 
What is it that you treasure? Verse Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember? Earthly things. Things on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. Well, what is that indicating? It's temporal. It's transient. So don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Have you ever wondered what that meant? How do I store up treasures in heaven? I store up treasures in heaven when that is where my heart is. That is what I seek. Where, uh, where moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that we could do the opposite. I think where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. If your heart's in your car, that's where your treasure is. If your heart is in your house, that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where your heart is, that's probably where your treasure will be. So I think Paul in Colossians chapter 3 is saying, where's your heart? <laughs> where's your heart today? Is it, is it, do you find your treasures with this stuff? Now, I, I don't think he's saying you shouldn't enjoy this life. He's not saying, you know, throw your TV away. You know, just dress in a gunny sack. And uh, he's not saying that, obviously. But he's saying, what, what, is, what really inflames your heart? Is it the things of God or is it this life? So the disciplines are focused, he says, first of all, to seek. Second of all, look with me at verse 2. Set your mind on things above. So now he has, the first one is to seek. The second discipline is to set. Set our minds. This is a mindset. This is a framework from which we interpret reality. This is what we call a worldview. Now, he's probably not saying, get your mind in the clouds. Set your mind up in the heavens. You know the old old saying, you can be so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. I think that what he's saying is that, that... in order to be earthly good, you have to be heavenly minded. In order to navigate this world, you have to think God's thoughts after him. This is what we call a Christian world and life view. And, and he's not so much saying that your head should be there. He's saying, I think, that what's in your head should be from there. So in other words, I, I, know, I know a lot of Christians who love Jesus with all of their hearts but they're secular in their thinking. They have been indoctrinated in their thinking, and they don't think biblically. They love Jesus, they worship Jesus, they know Jesus, but they think secularly. Because they have been sold a bill of goods saying that this only speaks to... Well, if you interpret this verse as, this only speaks to heavenly things. This only only speaks to things that are above, not things on the earth. If you interpret it that way, then that's what you're going to do. You're going to love Jesus with all of your hearts, but you're going to now think secularly. Does the Bible not speak to politics, to political issues? Now, I I don't preach political issues from the pulpit. I'll preach moral issues from the pulpit because the moral issues are in the Bible. Let's get that clear. I will never back down from pro life and from abortion for fear of offending anybody. I will never back down from moral perversion. Political issues that involve moral perversion, because that's the Bible teaches. Now, we're not going to be hateful. But, but because we don't address political issues from the pulpit, doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to these things. 
Is there an area of life to which God does not speak? That God doesn't have something to say? What about economics? Does the Bible address economics? Oh, most Christians don't think so. See, but that's something out there. That's things on the earth. We're, we're about things in heaven. So he's not saying set your minds on things in heaven and don't worry about all these earthly things. No, I think what he's saying is that your thinking needs to be driven and oriented by the things of God, by the mind of God, by the mind of Christ. Um, a couple of quick verses. Go back to Philippians, if you would, with me. Philippians chapter 3. This is amazing. Philippians chapter 3, 3 verse 17. Philippians three seventeen. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And here, now he's going to contrast. For many walk, many live their lives, they conduct their lives, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is strong language. This is not, this is not moral neutrality. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. And who are they? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who do what? Who set their minds on earthly things. Part of the characteristic of unbelief is a earthly or worldly worldview, which is enemies of the cross. And yet many Christians align their thinking with those who are enemies of the cross. The Bible speaks to every aspect of life. Now, some are easier to discern than others. And many by which, obviously, we can debate within the church. But God is not silent about these things. So when he says, set your mind on things above... He's not saying be heavenly minded in the sense of only keep, only, only read your Bible and the Bible talks about church and spiritual things, but it doesn't talk about economics, doesn't talk about history, doesn't talk about science. There are many Christians who don't, who don't think, who think science, what is so-called science anyway, most of, by the way, you understand that most of our culture's concept of science is not true science. It's science fiction. True science conforms Perfectly with the Bible. Notice I didn't say the Bible conforms with science. In other words, if the Bible is true, we know it to be true, what would we expect to see in our world? That's science. So, to be heavenly minded doesn't, or to set your minds on things above does not mean that I only think about heavenly things, but it says my mind and my thinking is, is directed and oriented by the scriptures. Not what my world, not what the wisdom of man tells me, not what my Conscience, or not what my logic tells me, but what does the Bible say about these things? It is not being heavenly minded, but be, but earthly living with a heavenly mind. Does that make sense? Maybe that's better. It means I live this earthly life with a heavenly mindset, with a Christian worldview. We talked about now our motivation. So we have our discipline. We're to focus on things that are eternal, things that are spiritual, things that are noble. Spiritual things, things of the Spirit, things of God, to think God's thoughts after Him. And we do this because of two things. Number one, a new relationship. Look with me back in Colossians chapter 3. Our new relationship. 
And he hammers this over and over and over again. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He talks about the past. You have died. What does it mean that when he says you have died? Obviously, you're not, he's not talking about physical death. Remember back in Genesis, was it two, and three, two or three? When he, well, when he talks to Eve. And he says, you shall not eat of the, free of the tree of, not eat of the fruit of the tree of life. For in the day that you eat of it, you will what? You will surely die. Now, when she, she and Adam, by the way, Adam was sitting right there with her. See, guys, we, we weren't the first ones to try to blame stuff on our wives, right? So, he gave it to, she gave it to Adam. He was standing right there with him. Did they just croak? Did they go, and die? Well, is, was God lying? He said, when, with the day of you eat of it, you will surely die. But they didn't die. Well, how, how do we reconcile that? He's not talking necessarily about spiritual death, although or physical death, although that certainly was the result of it too. But at that moment, they became what? Spiritually dead. Now, Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. So same thing as Genesis, perfect with Genesis 1 and 2 or 3. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. Now, this is an interesting metaphor. What can a dead person do? If I was to, this would be really inappropriate, but if I laid a dead body out, that would be inappropriate. Don't you agree, Kelsey? If I laid a dead body out here, what would that dead person be able to do? What if he poked him with a pen? What if he yelled and screamed at him? So, so this, this means something. When the Bible says we're dead in our sins and our transgressions, and when it says that we have died with Christ, it, 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 it would be saying like, you are now as if your old self had literally died. And, and death means that it is completely free from any kind of influence, power, or effect. So when we have died with Christ, we've died not to Christ, but we've died from our old self. So we have died from all of our old past, our sins, our rebellion. It is, we are to, to live as if it no longer has an effect on us. We, are, we have died. That was the past. But the present, he says, we are now hidden. Look at me, verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what does it mean for your life? If you read, if you read this, what does it mean for my life to be hidden in Christ? What do you think of when you think of hidden? Secure. Well, typically, yeah, we look at it's. I can't see it. So when we, look at the, when we look at the realities of what the Bible says about our position in Christ, it's not something that we can see. And oftentimes, it's not something we even experience. It's hidden. Hidden is those things that are not yet fully revealed or not yet fully experienced, but they're nonetheless true. All of the truths that we read about our position in Christ, we are now hidden. They are hidden in Christ. We have not yet fully experienced them or fully realized them, but they are secure. It is as if they have already happened, and one day they will, in fact, happen, which leads us to, to number four is our new hope. When, so that when Christ, who are, our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed. In other words, that, that all those truths that are hidden right now will come out, you will fully experience, they will be fully realized, they will be fully seen, and they will be fully experienced. I think that what he's saying is that, listen, when we, where is our ultimate focus in life? Is it in this life? 
and the concerns and the priorities of this life, which is not to say that we have to deal with life. We, we, we are in this world and we have to go to work and we have to pay the bills. And we have to deal with this life. But where is our, where is our focus? Where, where is our heart? Is our heart on things above? Where's your head at? Is your thinking a reflection of things that are above? We have a new relationship. We have a new hope. And we are to live like we're leaving. So what's the application of all this? Where do we go? I'm gonna, I'm gonna add an entry into DMS, DSM, what is it, what are we up to now? Five, we're at five. DSM five. And, uh, what's DSM manual? Something manual. Anyway, this, this is what they use in psychology to identify, uh, disorders. We're on, we're on, we're on number five. So DSM five, I'm, I need to add one. And this is what I'm adding. MPFDD. I don't know why I'm looking over here. I, I, should, I should be looking. Trust me, I should be looking here. Uh, MPFDD. Misplaced focus. Disorder. Deficit. Is that, or deficit disorder. Misplaced focus, deficit disorder. What, what, that's what we're talking about here. It's not a lack of focus. It's not that Christians, it's not that we lack focus. It's that we have a mis, oftentimes we have a misplaced focus. We focus on the wrong things, on things of the earth, not things above. I, I love this. I have the, uh, Sal, uh, showed me a, a book called Valley of Vision. These are, these are pure prayers of Puritan, the Puritans. And one of these prayers it had this, and I, I read it this week and it really hit me. It said, it talks about secular concerns reduce Heavenly impressions. In other words, my, our, all of our secular concerns have a way of, I, I would say, repress all of our heavenly impressions, the, the impressions of heavenly things. And I think what Paul is saying is don't allow secular concerns to reduce your heavenly impressions. How do we do that? Three things. Saturation. And I know, you're, I know you've heard this a million times, but I'm going to change up on you a little bit. It's not about getting into the Word. What is it? It's about the Word getting into you. We, we all know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not about reading your Bible. It's about allowing your Bible to read you and to reveal to you and to convict you and to inform you. To get your head in heavenly places. So, saturation. Number two is investigation. And what I mean by that is, many of us have never really contemplated and studied what, what does the Bible say about all the things that in my life? What does the Bible say about immigration? Does you think the Bible not speak to immigration? Sure it does. What about um, economics or history? or science, or geography. Does the Bible not speak to these things? It does. So, but, but many of the times, we've never really studied it. We never, so you investigate. What does the Bible say about these things? What does God's Word say about these issues? You have to investigate that. You, you have to take some initiative and, 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 and read and study and, and, and pursue that. So, saturation, not get into the Word, but let the Word get into you. Number two is investigation. Pursue a fully Christian worldview. That you view all of life through the lens of heavenly things. Number three, evaluation. Regularly evaluate. Am I thinking God's thoughts after him? Am I thinking biblically 
or my thinking secularly. And when I say secularly, I, I mean you could be both from the right or from the left or in the center, it doesn't matter. Am I thinking secularly? What is it that shapes my thinking about life? Is it heavenly things or earthly things? Is it things... What, what is it that I contemplate in life? Is it heavenly things or earthly things? So what Paul challenges us to do in, in Colossians 3, before he talks about... And he's going to get into real specifics about how we live in the household, how we live in our homes, how we operate in the church, how we operate in domestic life. Before, before he does any of that, he says, you need to get your... You need to get your was it from um, Cool Hand Luke? How many of you ever saw Cool Hand Luke? Okay. The, 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 guard, the warden said this to, to, uh, to Luke. He said, Luke, you've got to get your mind right. That's what he's saying. We've got to get our minds right. We, we have to start thinking God's thoughts after him. And we do that through saturation. We do that through continual investigation. And we do that through regular evaluation. Have I been co-opted by my culture? Have I been co-opted by secular thinking and secular desires and secular treasures? Or am I thinking God's thoughts after Him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that our focus would always be on You and the things that You have revealed to us. We have been raised with Christ where He is seated. And we, we pray that our lives and our thinking and our desires both our hearts and our heads would be informed and driven and uh, directed by those things. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand with me and join hands?